Welcome back to the Radcliffe Tech Conversations. This is Dr. Jacek Kolasinski, your host. The music for this episode was prepared by Jose Velez, one of our Radcliffe Fellows. Today I will speak with internationally renowned sculptor Maria Elena Gonzalez. Maria Elena's artistic practice incorporates a strong attention to craftsmanship with conceptual concerns. She investigates the notions of identity, memory, and displacement in her elaborate installations and poetic compositions. Maria Elena has received several notable awards, including the Prix de Rome and the Guggenheim Fellowship, among others. Welcome to the program, Maria Elena. Thank you, Jacek. It's a pleasure being here. Well, long time. I mean, great telephone conversation a couple of weeks ago about this upcoming podcast. So I'll start with something that uh, kind of echoes from my last visit to New York to your studio. And at the time you were working on that beautiful piece called Three Talk. So as an artist, you are compelled to use a variety of high-tech, low-tech methodologies to create complex narratives. So your Birch Tree projects, how did that start? Very simple idea. Um, I, I was spending time in Skowhegan, Maine at the School of Painting and Sculpture as a faculty. And the property is surrounded by bucolic splendor, beautiful forests, and a lot of birch trees. And in one moment, the similarity of the cylinder of the birch and the markings and the player piano roll visually came together in my mind and I'm going like, wow, I wonder what the birch tree sounds like. And that started the quest on, all right, how am I going to hear a tree through a player piano? And that took, no, no kidding, seven years to figure out because typically the piano roll is made through sound and perforated into the paper roll, not through a visual, and then you end up with a perforation. So obviously that was not the only project I was working with at the time, but it took a lot of like sleuthing to get to the different technologies and people who work with the uh, player piano rolls and mechanics of it to get to it. So long story short, I was able to scan the bark isolate the marks of the tree, the lenticels on the computer, and turn those into digital files so that they could be laser cut into the player piano paper and then played through the pianola, the player piano. And that's what that's how it got that's how it got started. That's fascinating, the poetics of actually hearing the music of, of memory, memory of a tree that is growing, that is collecting uh, its own kind of stages of growth through through different seasons. And all of a sudden you're distilling from the sound. So you as a sculptor all of a sudden turn yourself into somebody who is so driven to to hear your sculptures. So what, what are the surprises you learned from the project? Uh, how incredibly composed it sounds like the first tree it would it you if you didn't know this was music from a tree you think you were listening to incredibly um a not atonal but improvisational jazz you know you could you know think you might be at the blue note or something and so that was like a major surprise because 
until I heard it, I did not know what it was going to sound like. I'm not a trained musician, so I don't know how to read music. I I wouldn't know what to expect if I'm l looking at notes. And so that was an incredible surprise. And then the second one is incredibly melancholic, incredibly melancholic. And then the third one, not as vivacious as a D'Souza march, but it's definitely a march. And you raised the question regarding the memory of the tree. One of the things also akin to a cylinder are the geological cylinders that are plucked out to see what the weather was like. And I often wondered if that was also recorded in, in the tree and in the marks of the tree, if the weather, the temperature, the humidity, the, the pollution, whatever was recorded onto the tree itself and, and its bark. And the other thing you mentioned about the poetics of this project, and this is something that was not planned. These marks, the lentisols of the tree, is how the birch breathes. That's how the trunk gets oxygen. Paralleling that, the player piano is a pneumatic instrument. So when the air goes through the cuts, it depresses the keys. So it's almost like a perfect circle. It inhales, and when it exhales, you hear it. And it's like, wow, that was like totally unexpected. I would like to play a short fragment so our listeners can get a better idea. That was truly incredible. I was wondering, like, you know, in your exploration of this particular species, were you looking at different uh, locations, at different geographies? Were you looking at different uh, samples of the of the trees? Were they particular age? Were they uh, particular height? A particular uh, diameter? No, I actually stumbled on a fallen tree, the first one when I started thinking about how to hear the tree and just taking my walks through the forest. And there was a pretty nice size with tree that had fallen down and I decided to peel it. And when I came back a second time, I, I noticed that I had left some of the bark behind. So I peeled that off at that time and added it to what I already had started. So the other two, the only prerequisite was 
that it was from that area in Skowhegan, Maine, and that they were fallen. Because you can't, if you peel the, the bark from a living tree, you kill it. So the prerequis- prerequisite was that they had fallen already. And the last two were very tall, 40 and 50 feet. Well, you know, it segues nicely to, to, to my next thought here. So through, through my many visits to the Art Academy in Riga, Latvia, I see many students over there working with the birch uh, tree bark to, to create a diverse product portfolio. They are really interested in ideas of sustainability because, you know, the, the bark of a tree is a byproduct of, uh, of lumber industry over there. So students are coming up with an ideas of uh, turning this into jewelry, into materials that shoes are made of, and so on. So what are your thoughts on sustainability? I know you're working on some projects connected to it now. Well... I'm not sure if the project of the trees really accentuated that for me, but it certainly has been a result of it. Uh, regarding how we use materials, specifically in teaching, particularly sculpture, a lot of stuff ends up in the dumpster. And for me personally, the, when I started teaching full time, I made it a point of using the materials that were ended up in the scrap bin as opposed to using new materials or buying new materials. But the, the, but coming back to the tree itself or the trees themselves and the materials derived from trees, wood and paper, particularly, I used an enormous amount of papers in, um, making drawings and rubbings from the bark itself while trying to figure out what or how to listen, how to hear the tree. Since I didn't have the mechanics of it, I did a lot of rubbings before and after I figured it out. And then it got me thinking that I'm using a lot of paper that derives from trees. So I am contributing to climate change. I am, you know, contributing to the the mercantile aspect of commercial products like paper and pencils. And so that got me interested in the sustainability factor. But coming back to your students, I think the newer generations are already growing up with a consciousness that we didn't have in my generation. I think the consciousness that I derived perhaps because I heard what the tree said to say. Yeah, I mean, looking at your work and your portfolio, I mean, you're really interested in many cases in the idea of the meaning of material. Like, you know, when you were in Rome, I remember the the passage when you talk about ideas of seals of the holy relics over there in the church that were done with wax. And again, you're interested in wax more than the relics by itself, because wax had some kind of a meaning to you. So you want to explain that a little bit to us? That, you know... That in itself, um, perhaps because I'm not a figurative uh, artist per se, I rely a lot on the language of materials. They already come with a history that most people have a certain relationship to. Like I don't have to explain cement to anybody. You're, you're sitting on a slab of cement. I can see it in, in at least in the backdrop that you have, you know, it's like you know, the bricks behind you, the mortar in between, uh, you know, cement, even the verb 
putting something together and cement it. Um, that's why I use certain materials because I rely on the information and the history that it's inherent and that they carry. And the sealing wax, it was just so, uh, such a luscious material and it was, it is red for the most part. And for me, th that year that I spent in Rome and the history of Rome, the bloodiness of Rome, red was the flags of Rome, you know, they're all red. So between the color of the material and the use of that material to seal, make it official and seal it so that no one else has access to it. Uh, those became the, the building blocks of a lot of the work that stemmed from being in Rome for a year in Rome. So you, you spoke briefly about an idea of the meaning of material. Like you said, it means something to somebody. It's a cultural kind of uh, affiliation of material. So when, when I think about the birch trees, to me, they're affiliated often with an idea of a uh, military cemeteries, right? And a lot of crosses in those cemeteries were festooned with uh, with with uh, that kind of material and and again you know it brings some kind of affiliation of connection to landscape so growing up in poland you know that's that's a kind of constant space of the battleground it's a constant space of the of a space where again armies collided and uh, this is this is the kind of leftover from from those kind of political maneuvers so the meaning of the trees kind of transposed into meaning of memories some kind of uh, memorial almost right it you know when i was invited to the 30th ljubljana biennial um and i visited ljubljana in slovenia i was mm -hmm. taken by how important the birches are to the slovenes in the center of Ljubljana, there are three birches, coincidentally, that are um, guarded with an iron gate around each of them. And you, I, I had not seen that kind of veneration to any particular tree anywhere. I mean, certainly the, the redwoods in California are... are respected and visited and whatnot and they are pretty humongous but this particular affinity with the birches in slovenia was new to me so and again by coincidence the the woods around the the graphic center is is populated with birches so that biennial um Tree Talk received the grand prize. So I was invited to come back and the grand prize is doing a solo exhibition during the, the following biennial. And there was a storm after that. And I had them keep three birches for me so that I could use them in the exhibition. So in, in, in this case, because the, the focus of the Tree Talk project was sound itself, the material was sound um, until I was physically in these different areas. Didn't the, the physicality of the tree itself become prominent? So you brought sound, the issue of sound as a, as a sculptor, you deal with space. So 
as you explore ideas of the sound distribution to the space as another sort of element that really arguments our experience of the of the chamber of a room or, or whatever you you use for for your particular kind of exploration in a way the tree the tree talk project was where sound itself became front center and the main um contributors say to the definition of space because when i started thinking about that sound as a material i trace it back to 1989 to some sculptures that i did utilizing rawhide because i wanted to implicate the viewer and make them participate and handle the work so using it as a surface like a drum the viewer themselves would make a sound. And so then I started thinking about all the work that I was doing that I had, that sound was a component. Trita was the first one that it was, the presence of sound as a material um, was important in and of itself in discarding the object per se. As a sculptor, that's huge. That and I was just sound, thinking about it, right? Sculptor walks huge. away for yeah. And, and and for a while, what the exciting thing too was how I was not using materials and de- depleting the environment from materials. Um, and you know, on a practical level, you know, I wasn't using storage as sculpture tends to do. So but coming back to to your to your question regarding the next generation and the new artists using or be more uh, sustainably conscious, I think um, it's been a concern for certainly my generation, probably before, but it has increased as you can see now in the current generation. So. Um, well, I was thinking about another idea here. You know, you, you spent significant amount of time as an academic uh, mentoring new artists who are prepping themselves to establish sustainable creative practice. So, so what are what are your thoughts on artists uh, entrepreneur paradigm? Like, you know, how do you really position this in in the vocabulary of somebody who is uh, prepping students to walk out of the academia and to survive after afterwards in the real world you know <laughs> artists are entrepreneurs whether they go to school or not because it, it you, you're not going to get a job to be an artist in your studio that's it just doesn't exist um so you're going to have to figure out ways on how to make a living that is not being in your studio very very few people uh become marketing stars right off the bat and as we have seen in the past sometimes a lot of these um market stars from school don't last very long and then what do they do i don't know what they do so but the i think the for me the crux of the question here is not just for the students on when they leave with a degree but for um artists who are professors like yourself like myself 
And how are we going to teach and mitigate um, the circumstances of climate change in the curriculum and also in the facilities where we teach? And that I started, like I mentioned before, seeing the amount of uh, scraps that are um, wasted. And at the end of the semester, how much of the work ends up in the dumpster? And so, and then how the facilities themselves utilize energy or waste energy. And all these concerns uh, led me to be very active in trying to make the San Francisco Art Institute carbon neutral by 2035. Unfortunately, as we all know, or most of us know, or some of us know, the school closed because of lack of funding. And, and so this ties right into the question or the statement leading, you know, how artists are, what artists are, how artists are going to be making a living after they get a degree. You know, the degree is not going to guarantee you making a living. So we go back to an idea. What is the proposition value that artists bring to the table? And I think you articulated in many ways that artists work from a level of scarcity, right? There's never enough of anything for an artist. We always need to figure out how to get from point A to point B. I mean, a lot of foundations and a lot of programs have mitigated that to the point that it is very viable to leave school and start um being part of different residency programs and start um, getting your work out there. So in a way, the way that networking platforms have developed in the last 20 years have increased the possible viability of young artists uh, being able to be artists after they graduate. So, but I think principally the the contribution that artists bring to society and is our way of thinking we we're problem solvers we are creative to the point that the way that we solve problems is very particular to artists solving problems and so even if you end up doing something else you're going to bring a certain way of thinking that is particular to our artistic training and our an artistic education. Um, in when let's say a lawyer or a dentist or a doctor, they take art classes. You know, the, the way that artists teach class is very different than any other others that they take. And I was reading an excerpt recently on a lawyer um, crediting an artist uh, because of the class that they took and how that creative thinking uh, sparked a way of processing information that was particular to that class. Yeah, there was there was a moment where Daniel Pink in one of his books uh, he argued that MFA was the new MBA because of the creativity. He was thinking that what artists bring to the table 
it could be as compelling as what is being taught in an MBA program where people are really moved with the position of creating a business, right? Because artists are solving problems. True. True. And unfortunately, it seems that our society doesn't see the value of the humanities and the arts in our society. And you see enrollment going down, you see less support, or even questioning like, why, why, would sh why should we exist in academia? <laughs> Which is, well, you know, because we all need us. Very, very existential questions to 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 what we bring to to the kind of bigger ecosystem. So, I mean, you you mentioned something what uh, and again evokes another set of questions. You talk about you being a sculptor who walked away from an object, right? So, we're at this very strange junction of the world where we talk about a metaverse, where everything becomes virtual, which is a combination of. Uh, virtual realities, augmented reality. So, how do you how do you position yourself as a creative, and what are your thoughts on that? You know, disclaimer: I went back to the object. <laughs> I've I've tried really object. hard. <laughs> I've tried really hard not to make things, but it's just inherent in me in in making things that is who I am, and but. Being, you know, teaching out in San Francisco, it's, you're surrounded by the tech world. And so you wonder, um, well, not, not only wonder, but you, you're, I'm very curious about how I can incorporate these new technologies into uh, exemplifying ideas and creating new works that use that. However, I am a little bit or a lot concerned about the amount of energy that these not object that the virtual world um, uses up. Um, so that it's it's almost like a catch twenty two. Yeah, you're not de diminishing or de depleting uh, the natural materials to make objects with, but you are utilizing so much energy that and x amount of servers that you're also contributing to climate change so what is maria elena's last word for aspiring artists who are walking out of the university classrooms and uh, facing different realities of the world what would you tell them utilize what you've learned question what you've learned amplify what you've learned and leave the world better than you found it thank you so much for your time maria elena and next time when you're in miami come by the incubator we'll do that let me know when you're in new york okay we'll do <laughs> okay. see you soon <laughs>